Hello and welcome to episode Craig Anderson of the Cost Per Point Cast. I'm your co-host Trevor Shackles, as always joined by my co-host Colin Cudmore. So I'm thinking there might be just a few things to talk about with the Sands, right Colin? More than a few. It's going to be quite the extensive episode today. Yeah, and I mean, the deadline was yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday night, and we had our last episode on Saturday with Travis Yos, and that was a really good episode. Um, going into that episode, we both knew that it was going to be dated pretty soon, and that, that was okay. We just wanted to get that conversation with Travis out there. Um, but now that the deadline has passed, there's plenty to talk about. Um, the Since that last episode, the Dezingle trade and the Stone trade has happened. Um, I guess if you want to say the um blockbuster brian gibbons trade as well so there's plenty to talk about um do you want to just start off with the duchene trade first yeah it just feels weird that the sends are the team to be talking about around the nhl right now it it seems like Mm -hmm. it only happens once every uh so often you know with eastern conference finals and all but uh, this time is not really in a positive light but i guess yeah first there was the duchene trade um they got uh two prospects back vitaly avramov i hope i'm saying that right and then jonathan davidson and they got uh, two picks back, first-round pick in uh, for this year. And then next year, they have conditional first-round pick based on whether Duchesne signs with Columbus, which I think is a bit of a weird pick, just because, um, like, you got to think of, of who's, which team had that interest. Like, wh- like wh- what does it really matter to Ottawa whether Columbus makes the playoffs or not, whether they get that pick? So it seems like something that Columbus kind of used their leverage for to make that pick conditional instead of... Uh, um, instead of just like a regular second round pick or something like that. And I think that's something that Travis hit on in the last episode. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely interesting. Um, and like Columbus is, just in, is in a weird spot because as I was mentioning to you before, right before we started recording, as of now, um, Columbus is actually outside of a playoff spot. They're, they're one point back of the Penguins and the Hurricanes. They do have a game in hand on both of those teams, but they lost tonight to Pittsburgh. <clears throat> and... You know, it's not a guarantee that they make the playoffs. I, I, I think they're good enough to win a round or two. And, and I think, you know, anything can happen in the playoffs. But it is it is funny that they could be picking, you know, maybe as, as low as 13th, 14th. But they could also be picking in, in the low 20s as well. Um, and I don't know, like, what's your sense on if Duchesne is going to re-sign or not? Because I don't think Panarin's going to stay. I don't know if... Bobrovsky is going to stay um but like maybe Duchesne is going to want to stay I'm, I'm not really sure what do you think yeah I, I don't know it'll, ha- it'll really have to do a lot with um you know how, how Columbus does this postseason if, if they go to the cup finals and they win the cup then I think that's not, not only for Duchesne but for Panarin and Bobrovsky that really says a lot to them but where uh, they want to stay and I think that's what um kind of put Panarin and Bobrovsky in that position where they just aren't really negotiating contracts at this point they kind of want to see you what Columbus can do, and uh, I mean the Blue Jackets put themselves in quite the risky position because they have all these upcoming UFA's right now. Essentially, the position Ottawa was in heading into uh, uh, this season, but, mm-hmm. like, but on a, like almost even bigger scale right now. So uh, it's it's really like you also have to think that these players are talking amongst each other, and they they know what the situation is like. So I, I, the risk just gets amped up even more there because if if. Uh, if Duchesne knows yeah. Panarin isn't signing, and if he knows that Bobrovsky isn't signing, then like, what reason does he want to have? Like, he's a player who has six playoff games over his entire career. You know, he wants to be winning now, and he's in his prime. So, um, if he wants to be on a winning team, um, he, he, well, he's on Columbus right now. They're uh, like they're not in a playoff spot, but they're still uh, 
competing for it, which is, I guess, uh, quite the step up from Ottawa. But, uh, you know, maybe he wants to really take a step up from there. And free agency will open that window for him. This is a once-in-a-career opportunity. So if, if he really wants mm-hmm. to uh, really, really set on making those deep playoff runs for the, for the next uh, few years of his career, then, uh, yeah, I think free agency is going to be uh, quite the appealing option for him. For sure. And I will say, I I don't know if it's necessarily the most sound moves that Yarmo Kekalainen made, but I commend him for, you know, pushing all of his chips in just because it it's extremely entertaining to to see him. I think they traded up to, so it's either six or seven draft picks with um, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, Keith Kincaid, and Adam McQuaid. And I guess you can kind of question, I don't know how much McQuaid and Kincaid are, are going to bring for them. Um, but just the fact that they're, they're really going all in on this season and it could totally blow up in their face um, in, in a similar way that it did with the Senators. I don't think they're going to bottom out like Ottawa did. But, you know, if all these guys leave, then it, it looks really bad. But then again, there's there's, you know... I'd say a very slight chance that they go all the way and win the cup because, you know, in, in today's NHL, I, I wouldn't have said last year that the Capitals were even like a top five team and they won it. So realistically, I think they still have a chance. And I think that's awesome that Kekalainen was willing to do that, even if it's not necessarily the best move in the long term. And looking at their draft picks, they could have as little as five draft picks in the next two years combined. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, yeah, they uh, give the Ian Cole, uh, the third round pick for Ian Cole last year as well. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be, yes, like, as you said, they're really just putting everything in it. And if this backfires on them, it's, it's going to be moves that they're going to feel for the next, like, decade, probably. Just because, like, mm-hmm. the, the, they're going to be eliminating, like, putting a huge limit on... Uh, what they can do with their prospect pool. And like, their prospect pool isn't even that deep to begin with. You know, you talk about yeah. Liam Foodie and Emil Bemstrom as your top two prospects. Like, granted, they're good <laughs> prospects, but those aren't, like, the two, top two guys you really want to have in your system. And, uh, and, and of course, they, they gave up a couple prospects to Ottawa as well. So, um, Well, it, why don't we talk about those, the prospects that Ottawa got then? What, what do you think of Abramov and David? Or is it Abramov or Abramov? I also have no idea. I've been hearing the okay. same thing. I, I, I'm, I'm curious <laughs> yeah. to find that out. But, I, th- uh, I think it's Abramov. I don't even know. But like, what for for listeners out there who aren't uh, who haven't really followed either of these guys' careers um, in junior and since being drafted, what, what can you say about those two guys? I mean, the first thing that pops out about Abramov, just because it's the sense, is that he's Russian. He's the first Russian right. they had in the organization since Sergei yeah. Gonchar, and that was what 2013, something like that. And, and they haven't drafted a Russian in a long time. But, I mean, Avramov is a bit different in the sense just because he came to North America so early and played for the Gatineau Olympique, who's uh, you know, right, right across the Ottawa River in Gatineau and uh, um, is, is now in his uh, rookie AHL season. But, of course, like you look at what he did in the QMJHL. He, he won scoring titles. He uh, really dominated the league there at a, at a young age. But, uh, um, yeah, seeing him coming to the AHL, though, that's, that's where he's... Uh, that's where the concern starts to arise. He's a bit of a smaller player, and, and uh, at 20 years old, he's kind of having a bit of a, uh, a rough time adjusting. He has uh, 22 points in 52 games so far. Um, yeah. Played his first game for Belleville last night. And, uh, um, yeah, so it's it just a matter of, like, the points are there in the AHL so far. Um, the skills are there. It's just a matter of uh, where he can translate. 
And it's one player he kind of reminds me of is in, in kind of a similar dominated the QMJHL and then struggled for the first bit is Francis Perron. And, right. And again, he's kind of that smaller stature. Um, well, the, the skills are there. Um, dominated the QMJHL and then kind of struggled in their first little bit. And look at what Francis Perron is doing now. Uh, now that he's actually being given an opportunity on uh, on San Jose, the Barracuda uh, is actually. Starting. Were you saying um, Dolan remind you were reminded of Dolan as well? Yeah, he he sort of reminded me in the same sense um, that they're kind of just uh, younger skilled players. Although I think that uh, um, uh, Dolan might be a bit better of a puck mover than uh, Abrov, mm-hmm. and, and just a, a bit slightly bit better of a skater. So uh, th- there definitely are some key differences there, but. Uh, um, yeah, it's just, it's just another solid prospect to add to the pool. And, like, Belleville's going for their deep playoff run right now, so he'll be a huge help to that for sure. Yeah, and I, I would say it seems to me like Abramov has a... I don't know if he has, like, a massive ceiling. I I think at his best, though, he could be maybe, like, a 60-point player in this league. Um, but I would probably also say that he has a pretty low ceiling, just considering... Or, sorry, low floor, I should say, um, considering what he's done so far in the AHL. It's been pretty underwhelming. And, you know, I'm I'm the last person to be biased against these these smaller players. He's he's listed at five nine. Um but I think it is valid if there's definitely some smaller players that just can't adjust. And I think that's a valid question to have um until he actually starts putting up those points at the professional level. Um but yeah I I would rather honestly go for a prospect like Abramov, um, rather than someone like Davidson, who's probably maybe a higher floor but a lower ceiling, who's still interesting, but he, he doesn't really excite me too much. Yeah, and the thing with Abramov, did you see he was drafted in the third round in, uh, what was it, 2016? But yeah. he should have gone way earlier that year. He had 93 yeah. points in the QMJHL that year. I, I remember everyone was just like, well, why is Abramov the one guy who's uh, being held off so long in the draft? And... Uh, and he, I get, he's really showing why, you know, like why he's, uh, um, he, he's, uh, he, you know, he continued to tear it up in the QMJHL, and, and the skill, the, the raw skills are there, and he, did, as you said, he definitely has the, the higher ceiling of the two prospects, and I guess that brings us to uh, uh, Jonathan Davidson, the other, the other guy. Any uh, sort of thoughts on him? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, uh, you know, I was watching some highlights of Abramov. Um, can't say I've, I've watched any of Davidson. Um, so this season he's been playing with uh, Mika Zibanejad's former team, Jur Gardens in the SHL. He's got 21 points in 36 games. Last year he had 31 in 52. So honestly, that doesn't seem terrible. Um, you know, he's, he's a 97. Um, he was born in 97. So he's turning 22. Um, I would assume that next season, Actually, I don't know. I haven't looked up his contract status, but I would assume next season they're going to want him to come over to the AHL. And, you know, he's probably even going to get a really good chance to play uh, in Ottawa, actually, um, because apparently he he almost made Columbus this season. So, um, yeah, I I think he could end up being maybe like a, a decent third line player. I just it doesn't seem like the kind of guy that is going to be an impact forward, per se. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't really know as much about Jonathan Davidson. The one thing is that, uh, like, when you're looking for uh, his, uh, like, him as a player just in the context of, like, the Duchesne return, 
I was really hoping that the Sens would target a guy that I mentioned previously, Emil Benstrom, who's just on the, yeah. on the exact same team and is also a young forward. And he has 20 goals in 40 games. Like, he's 31 points in 40 games for... Uh, I mean, Jurgen. but don't you think don't you think that Columbus would have probably had uh, Benstrom as higher than Abramov? So I don't even think they would have been willing to give up Benstrom. I, I don't know, but, like, if you're looking at Duchesne and what he's bringing to Columbus... Um, it just seems like something that uh, um, a player that I really would have would have uh, targeted instead. Just yeah, it would have been nice, but uh, for sure. I, I, yeah, you're right. Definitely from Columbus's perspective, he would have been uh, definitely a, a like a, a higher value player. But uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess just in the context of the Duchesne return, is it's uh, a player that I would have been a bit more hopeful that the Sens would have been able to uh, uh, get out of that. Definitely, and I, and I think. Um, if Duchesne can re-sign with Columbus, this deal could end up looking pretty damn solid for Ottawa. Um, you know, if they get a middle-of-the-pack first-round pick this year, and who knows how good Columbus is going to be next year if Panarin walks, if Bobrovsky walks, um, but Duchesne re-signs, you never know. I mean, maybe they miss the playoffs. So um, I, I, w- I wasn't planning on this, but how about let's, let's grade some of the trades. Like for this one, I would probably give it maybe like a B or B plus? I don't know. Yeah, I'd go somewhere around that scenario. I mean, yeah. it depends. It depends how you want to look at it. If you want to just look at the trade, like as the way like the trade was, like how much value did the Suns get for Duchesne? Then yeah, sure, it's a B or B plus. But again, I think we'll be talking about this a bit later. But in the context of the team itself, yeah. And should the Suns have made this trade, and did they put themselves in this position where they need to make this trade, and like. Yeah, the, the, then the, then the grade gets lowered to probably maybe a C minus just for because, sure. Just, yeah. just just on the basis that they aren't that they weren't able to retain Duchesne. But, yes, yes, and we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, but I guess let's move on to the second trade. Well, yeah. one day later, honestly, I can't believe Dorian was able to pull this off. And just, mm-hmm. just to preface all of this, uh, we had four days to make three massive trades, and as smug as he was at his press conference out after it, I got to commend the guy for actually having uh, um, the guts to pull the trigger on all three of these because it, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And I, I, I know we're going to rag on Dorian later for being such a yes man, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, being the only guy in the organization, like his assistant GM is a contract guy, but the fact yeah. that he's able to pull all three of these trades off is uh, a, a bit of a thing to marvel at. But... Uh, yeah, there's. The, I guess let's get into the actual trade. Ryan Dezingle, also to Columbus, another pending UFA. Um, Suns got two second-round picks back, and Anthony Duclair. I'm just wondering what your general thoughts are on uh, Dezingle to the Blue Jackets. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, we're both on the same page on this trade. I, I was pretty surprised to see the fact that they got two second-round picks. Um, I was definitely expecting a first-round pick, but honestly... I would rather have two seconds. Um, we know with draft data that after the first like 10, 15, 20 picks, after that, like it, there's a real drop off. And the difference between picking, you know, in like the early 20s and like 45 or like 50 or something like that really isn't that much. So at like, you know, I'd rather have that quantity rather than rather than the quality. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's just a seventh round pick, but it kind of sucks that they had to include that in the deal as well. Um, but yeah, like getting two picks in there and 
I don't know if they're going to keep Anthony Duclair. Uh, he scored tonight. Um, and, you know, he, he was a, a UFA last season because he went, uh, he was unqualified by the Blackhawks. But because he's, I think, only 24, no, 23 still, um, he's actually an RFA in the upcoming summer. So they could easily retain his rights for pretty cheap. And, you know, he's getting a trial run right here. And, you know, this is a guy who's had, I think one season he had 44 points. So, you know, he, he could be a, a decent top nine winger and they got him for very little. Well, I, you know, it seemed like he was pretty much like a throw in, in the deal. So I, yeah, like, like you said, I think Dorian did pretty damn well on this deal. Oh, totally. And Dzingel is a guy that I would, I have like the sense sold high on him and like, yes. And I think it's a rare case when you look into Ottawa, but I guess because of their uh, situation, we'll say that, that they, uh, ended up kind of doing this anyways. And I, I said this a couple times, but if uh, even if the Sens were competitive, this is a situation where I would have been fine trading Dzingel no matter what. Just because he's he's having a career year, it's unlikely that he'll produce at this pace again, even though he's like, even though he has a good toolkit, I really don't expect him to, to put up uh, the same point pace. Um, so the fact that the Sens are selling high on him and, it got, uh, and got the return that they did, you know, you look at guys like Matt Zuccarello who went... Uh, just uh, uh, hours later, and uh, got a second and a third yeah. round pick, and so I, I consider that a good trade by Dorian. But uh, um, but going back to the picks for a second, um, just because Ottawa has so many picks now, I wonder if they'll do kind of the reverse that they did last year and try and trade up for a player. Because you never know. Maybe the Sens will uh, find a player that they really like and use these picks to their advantage. So. Like, you mentioned that you'd rather have two picks over a first. Um, while I may agree with that in principle, I, I just wonder what uh, the Sens are going to be thinking with so many picks now. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I would say it, it's really going to have to be a good player. Um, I think when people think back to Ottawa trading up, they're obviously going to think of Eric Carlson. But they've had some whiffs as well. I mean, they traded up for... Mm, yeah, they traded up for Matt Pompel. Yeah, they traded up for Gabriel Gagne. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't always work. Um, I don't know. It would have to be a real slam dunk, like a Matt Barzal slipping or or someone of that caliber. Totally. Um, because otherwise, it's I don't know. It, it's it's pretty risky, and I think I think it's good that they've been spreading out their picks. Um, you know, they're not all for 2019. They got a lot in the 2020 draft, and that's supposedly supposed to be um a pretty deep draft so that that's good there um but yeah i I don't know i it depends on obviously who they would be getting but yeah i don't know yet yeah oh yeah totally and uh um yeah but uh i'm of the opinion that for draft picks you can probably get a good impact player any spot in the draft, like if, if you if you're a good drafting yeah. team, if, if you're good enough. But yeah. the thing is, NHL teams aren't really at that point yet. So not really. Um, I, I'm I'm just glad that Ottawa has scouting as their advantage. That's kind of the the, the one thing that they've um, been able to consistently uh, do. I'd, I'd I'd say above average at over the past. Yeah, uh, I think so. Decade. I mean, you already look at last draft. Um, you know, Kachuk's looking really good. Um, Bernard Docker has been progressing well. Um, Tyconic hasn't been, I don't think he's been that great with UND, but I'm still really high on him. Um, Crookshank's been killing it. So like even that just this past draft looks really good. 
Oh, totally. But uh, I mean, we also have to take into account that, uh, like, e even just comparing to the 2015 draft is, is difficult because all, there's so many uh, changes to the scouting staff, especially in the last couple of years. But yeah. uh, um, I mean, their their uh, uh, scouting staff seems to know something about drafting, even though it's even though it's far from perfect. I think they they've done a, a good above average job. So. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. if we're talking about uh, any type of hope for the future for the Sens, which I mean is pretty bleak, but uh, this is something that maybe we can look at a positive at. If we're talking about something positive on the Cosper Pointcast. This is quite the rarity <laughs> this time. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I would say um, one more thing on Dezingle as well. Um, I'm just on Sean Tierney's uh, public tableau here, um, which, which is, you know, an amazing Sean. website. He's Sean is the best. Um, so I'm looking at Dezingle's, um, I don't know what you would call it, shot map or something, shot plot, I think. Yeah. Um, so he has, Dezingle has 22 goals this year, and his expected goals are only 14.46. So, I mean, that's almost eight more goals that he scored that he, you know, isn't expected to score. So, um, yeah, I, I think like you were saying earlier, you know, he's on pace for about 60 points, but... Moving forward, he's probably more of like a 40 to 45 point guy, which I still really like him as a player. But like you said, we, we probably we I can't say we that is no <laughs> Ottawa is definitely selling high on him, even though he's a rental. So I, I think Doran did pretty well with what he was given. Yeah, totally. And I mean, w with expected goals, models, you have to think about shooting talent. But with Dezingle, like, does he really have? Like that much shooting talent to make it those. Yeah, like, well, those two years ago, no one was saying that. Exactly, <laughs> like, like it's, it's it's like a total flip opposite for Dezingle. and yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's just a good chance where they sold high on a player. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I was thinking of times where they've done that recently, and there's uh, Derek Brassard is an obvious example, and uh, you might be able to say Dion Phaneuf to lump him, lump him in there, even though it's mostly contract based, but he really like fell off after they traded yeah. him anyway. So, um, I guess. That's all we have to say about the Zingle trade, but... Uh, mm -hmm. Stone um, trade next. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that, what, what a devastating day. Yeah. Um, I mean, not unexpected, though, right? I, I mean, it, it's. I felt the same thing with the Carlson trade. You can prepare all you want for this, and you can see all the photoshops of Mark Stone in another jersey, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's still... It, it's, it still hits. It's, it still really hits, yeah. Right where, right where it hurts. And, yeah, uh, um, I, I, I'm I'm not looking forward to seeing Stone in a Vegas jersey. But, oh, you haven't yet. I mean, he's <laughs> there's no, been I, I haven't yet. I'm not. I'm, I'm NHL uh, NHL gifts account has been has been tweeting stuff out. So you oh, know, no. there's there's some heartbreaking material for you right after the podcast. <sighs> um, okay. <laughs> you know, I I mean, it certainly is devastating, heartbreaking, all that stuff. Um, you know, Stone was and should have been in the future uh, the heart of the team he's like literally everything you could ask for in a player uh the only thing people said that he was subpar at was his skating and i would disagree with that i mean there was a point earlier in his career especially in junior when that was the only thing holding it back but if anything i think he's at worst average at that maybe even slightly above average um at his skating so he was just a guy that is so dominant especially defensively and and because there aren't as many defensive stats it's hard to for people to know about him but um i mean vegas fans they're they're gonna love him immediately um for the next eight and a half years and that 
that really sucks. There's just the fact that they were able to sign him so quickly. Um, but the crazy thing is, like, at this point, I'm just... Uh, sure, I'm still a fan of the team. I still follow them. I still cover them. I'm just numb to all this, Colin. Like, I, I can't... I don't know. I, I've just been expecting this ever since he signed that one-year deal. And, I mean, I mean... I don't know. Like nothing's going to change until Melnick sells and we'll get into that later. Um, but I don't know. I've been preparing for this and it's hard to get too like emotional um, just because this is the, you know, this has been happening for years. These star players leaving. Yeah. And I just talk about the trade for a second. Like this is, this was a trade that they couldn't win. And uh, that's what right. uh, that's how Chris Stevenson put it in the athletic, but uh, it was it was basically the same thing with the Carlson trade. It, no matter what they got, it it, it just wasn't going to be worth it. And yeah, it, it's hard to put into words, but to lose such a, um, a valuable player hurts more than just on the ice. You know, it's, it's oh for sure. It, it's it, you know these fans have an emotional connection, and and when you say you're numb, I think that really speaks to the lack of trust that fans have in the team right now. Like yeah. that, that trust has been gone for a long time. So, um, yeah. But I guess we have to talk about the trade return because, I mean, it's it's uh, all part of the trade. But they got uh, uh, Eric Brandstrom, Oscar Winberg, and if it didn't hurt enough, they got the second-round pick that Vegas acquired after uh, <laughs> trading Mark Mathot to uh, Dallas. So Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do, what, what are your thoughts on the return? I mean, Brandstrom's a great player, but uh, yes, yeah. Any words to say about him? Yeah, and I mean, no. I when talking about potential returns for Duchesne and Stone, um, I mentioned specifically that it is they need to try to get one of you know Eric Brandstrom, Yusuf Alamaki, uh, Christian Veselainen, Dante Fabro, Eli Tolvin, and one of those top like actual blue chip prospects. Um, and Brandstrom is one of those guys. He was, um, I, I didn't look up any other list, but just the first list that I looked up was Corey Pronman's um, midseason ranking, uh, prospect rankings. And Brandstrom was 19th, uh, one spot ahead of Drake Batherson and one below Noah Dobson. So this is a legit defenseman who I think as soon as next season could be a top four guy and potentially even a, uh, on the top pairing as well. Um, kind of sucks that he's left-handed and not right because they're a lot deeper on the left side, but I think he's going to be extremely good. Um, watching some highlights today, you know, has me really excited for him. But, I mean, like you said, any return for Stone isn't going to be enough. But at the same time, I think watching this guy is going to at least ease the pain um, as, as much as you can. Oh, totally. And, yeah, th there's no denying that Brandstrom is, is a top prospect. There, there's, there's really def there's a case to be made that he's the best defensive defenseman prospect in the league right now. And, uh, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I think there are a bit of inflated expectations just from the World Juniors because that, that kind of does that to a player. But, like, that doesn't take away from the fact that he's, he's definitely legit. Um, uh, he, he has played the right side in the past uh, when he's back in Sweden, but like it's not his most effective position. So who knows what they're going to do with him going forward? Like I expect him to play the left side behind Shabbat, maybe in front of Shabbat if he can even reach that uh, mm -hmm. point. Maybe split minutes, but uh, um, yeah, he's 
you know, we, 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 we toss around these, these terms like new age defenseman, but I think he kind of really embodies that in a way, you know, where he can provide the offense. Um, he's a great transitional player. Um, I, I, I can't really speak to what he does defensively. There aren't really many stats showing that for the AHL or for, uh, and, and I, I just haven't really watched enough uh, yeah. of him yet to be able to make a judgment on that. But uh, well, I will say for, for people who are looking for a highlight package, um, Paul on Twitter at sends underscore army underscore. He, he was tweeting a, a thread. I think he had like four or maybe even five videos of Brandstrom. And so there's some really good highlights there. Um, that's what I was watching today. So if anyone's interested, you can, uh, you can go on his account there. Yeah. But yeah, uh, in, in total, like, yeah, Brandstrom is no Mark Stone. And, and I, I mean, we don't really need to say that. Like, it's going to be hard to get anyone like Mark Stone in a trade from Mark Stone given their position, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, I mean, th- there's the other player piece they got, uh, Oscar Winberg. I think this kind of went under the radar a bit, but actually Tobias Winberg went the other way from Ottawa. They kind of, like they kind of, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I didn't it, even know that. What? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it was hidden in the Suns press release and, uh, what the heck? And yeah, they had to toss him in. Um, what? Uh, wow. Yeah, I it, totally missed that. I, and I know it's weird. Another reporter's, uh, line. So it was a Winberg for a Winberg, uh, Oh, wow. So, uh, Winberg is back in Vegas. Huh. Yeah, man, he's been all over the place, Tobias, that is. Yeah. Wait, so how about he, or how come none of the reporters reported that thing? Because I didn't see that in any tweets. I, I, I don't know, but uh, it was hidden in the Sun's press release, and uh, Weird. Maybe, maybe, guess, got, maybe got confused with the two Winbergs, so. Huh. I mean, I guess they just had to give up a, a body from Belleville, because they, they must have a lot of forwards now. Yeah, I think they're around 48 contracts. Yeah, they're at 48 mm-hmm. contracts, so it, w- it wasn't like a necessary move. Oh, okay. Unless they plan on, on signing a couple guys like a Brian Gianta or Willie Stepniak type guys or whatever. But uh, Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, we, we, we can kind of sort of talk about this, but how the Suns have had to kind of make those extra toss-ins and trades for whatever reason, and Dorian yeah. seems susceptible to that. You know, they, they, they traded Julius uh, uh, Bergman in the... Uh, Duchesne trade and uh, the seventh in the Dzingo trade and just weird things like that. Um, it's it just just little quirks that seem weird from Dorian. Like, it, like the, the the previous package wasn't enough already for some reason. Yeah, I know it is a bit strange. I think out of all, I mean, Bergman is going to Sweden next year anyway, so it's yeah. not a big deal. And and same with or Lindberg isn't. I don't know what what he's doing next season, but he's not really a prospect anymore. But I will say, giving up the seventh isn't nothing with Dzingo. So that that's like the one thing that I would yeah. have an actual gripe with. I, I find it kind of uh, poetic just to think that uh, uh, the Sens had to throw in a, six, a seventh round pick when the Sens drafted Zingle with a seventh round pick that they acquired yes. as a toss in. So <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah. Alex Ekovalev. Poetic justice there. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what do you think about Ottawa not being able to get a first in the stone trade though? I mean, it, it's underwhelming and it, it, what makes it even more underwhelming is the fact that Stone had they, he basically had an extension in place with Vegas. He got that done within 30 minutes. And yeah. Actually, I mean, just thinking about, it, I wonder if Dorian even knew about about this negotiation, or if Stone just like went forward and signed it within 30 minutes, or had it prepared within. 30 I mean, minutes. like he he just wanted a, a good place to win. I oh, like totally. Ottawa was off, offering more in terms of AAV, so. I don't think it would have been that hard to negotiate with them. Yeah, I mean, you have to take into account state tax and all that sort of stuff, and Ottawa would have to offer something like 13 million just to stay equivalent on that on that front. For sure, for sure. But 
yeah, the, the fact that they were able to get it uh, done so quickly is almost like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> if we didn't have enough insult to injury enough, it's just even more. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, not not that Stone's insulting us or anything, but uh, we we love you, Mark Stone. But uh, um, yeah, it, it just just speaks to like this. Enduring was talking afterwards. On, I think it was TSN twelve hundred about how uh, how many negotiations they had to go through with uh, Stone and his agent. And it was something like eight meetings. They traveled to Florida. They traveled to all these different places and had all these different secret meetings that they were talking about and trying to not leak it. And then, you know, he just goes to Vegas in 30 minutes. He's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of insane. Um, yeah, like I, I, I do wonder, like like you were mentioning, um, if there was any possibility of doing an actual sign-in trade because you would have to think that second would be upgraded to first and then maybe they'd be able to get even another asset as well um but then again you know i think vegas probably knew that they had a really good chance to sign stone which made them more willing to give up eric brandstrom because you know if you have stone for the next eight and a half seasons then losing brandstrom isn't really that big of a deal you can do that but if it's for a rental then i i don't know if they do that then yeah i mean yeah, it's going back to where we're at the beginning. It's it's gonna be impossible to get an equivalent return from Mark Stone. Yeah, like, and the Sens just didn't even come close in this one. It was a swing and a miss. So, yeah, I don't really have anything more to add to that besides uh, we miss you, Mark Stone. Now wait, so for this trade, like, what? Where would you? So we were giving the Duchesne one like a B or B plus. Dezingle, I would probably say like an A minus. What do you think the stone trade is a lot worse? I, I think so. Yeah, uh, like even though even though they got Brandstrom back, and because he's not a rental, I'd probably put that in the C category. Really? Okay. I was gonna say like a B, just because I'm really high on Brandstrom, and I think that it was at least good that they, uh, you know, got got a high quality prospect rather than just you know the Eric Carlson trade, which was six assets. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think there's there's good and bad things. Obviously, not getting that first really sucks. And the fact that he re-signed is, uh, so quickly definitely hurts. But, I mean, it could have been worse. I'll say that. And maybe I'm speaking from the heart a little bit here. but uh, True. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Oscar Winberg also scored today. So uh, yeah. <laughs> there's that. Um, yes. I, I mean, Oscar Winberg, he'll, he'll be a fourth liner on, like, he should be a fourth liner. But, I mean, if he's playing in Ottawa's top six, that's not really ideal but i mean looking at all of his roster you don't, they don't really have another oh, choice so. it, it's gonna be so abysmal the rest of the season just can this like yeah can it just be uh, over already yeah i I'm, I'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna watch too many games but um yeah so let's at least talk positively for for one second about some of these players so just give me your what was your favorite thing about Mark Stone as an Ottawa Senator? Oh, by far it was his energy. It was mm-hmm. just so infectious. It, he, he was just like, yeah, I, it, it was like he had like this supercharger battery behind his back that just kept on shocking him <laughs> because he just had no shortage of energy and it showed on the ice and it showed in the way he played. It showed in the way that his teammates like absolutely like loved him and like you look at I'm like, what's Brady Kachuk got to be thinking right now? And what's Thomas yeah. Walker be thinking right now? They, they're losing not only their best teammates and 
for Kachuk, like best line mate, but they're also losing a good friend that uh, really helped them go through like their uh, the beginning of their career. That's uh, like so. Um, Stone's energy, like not only for the players but for the fans, it was just incredible watching him. Like every time you step on the ice, like like you, you wouldn't see him initially because he'd be so sneaky. But then whenever he got the puck and scored, like it was it was lights out. It was incredible. Yeah, and just just watching his takeaways, just absolutely amazing to see how oh, yeah. how strong he is on the puck. And I think my my favorite thing is just every single goal he scored, no matter if they were down like six two in March last year in a lost season, he was celebrating so hard. He was so excited to score, and it wasn't like. You know, he wasn't showing them up, the other team. He was just really excited to score a goal every single time. And I loved it. It's just, it was like watching a kid score his first goal. And I think Golden Knights fans are, are really going to love him for that. And, I mean, how could you not? And I just can't wait to see what is uh, the energy on his face when he wins that Stanley Cup eventually. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I One of the few, you know, former Senators players that I would like to to see win a cup, Him him and Carlson for sure. Um, I mean, they they deserve it. They're phenomenal players. A question: Do you think Mark Stone ends up becoming the captain of Vegas? Do they wait? Do do they have a captain this year? I don't believe they have a captain. Yeah, I don't. I was. I don't think they do. Because oh uh, well, because well, last year it was um, England, right? Yeah, and then he. Uh, well, of course, he 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 left. So right. I yeah. I yeah, bet they, you he will. Yeah, there, there's. Uh, they have their alternates right now. I think it's. Uh, uh, Pacioretty, Delamar, and uh, I think England's also... S- Wait, no. Is England, is England even around still? I have no idea. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, Anyway, I, I could... You know what? I'll, I'll bet that he is their next captain. That'd be a phenomenal pick. So, Yeah. Uh, Golden Knights fans are going to love him, like, immediately. And, yeah. yeah. He's, he's well worth the nine and a half. And it's, it's not even a question. Totally. Um, I guess let's quickly move through um, some of the non-moves that the Senators made. Um, so guys who could have been moved before the deadline but weren't. Um, mainly in to- I'm talking about Cody Cece, Nico Bodker, uh, Zach Smith, and Magnus Payarvi. So big one right here is Cody Cece, and I think a lot of people are upset that he wasn't moved. And they let us get our hopes up, which was even, yep. like, almost Yeah, that's what makes it worse. And... Uh, uh, I, I I don't know. It, I see, seeing Cody Cece on the trade on the same day and of Mark Stone being traded would have like definitely taken some of that pressure off. I, I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. lie. Yeah. But, like I, I hate to rake on Cody Cece this much, and we and I know we talk about him probably too much on this podcast. But, probably. <laughs> uh, just, just move the guy already. And my only hope is that he gets moved in the summer now before he signs an extension just because the Sens are going to yeah. have to qualify him and money is money with the Sens and we all know what that is. We all know what that means. So, but It's just so disheartening. I mean, yeah, we still have the summer. He's an RFA, but like at this point, why, I don't know, why would they not sign him to an extension just in terms of their their viewpoint, right? I mean, he's he's played... I want to say like 430 games or something with the Senators. So if they haven't soured on him now, like when are they ever going to sour on him? So uh, it's just, yeah. it's insane to me that teams were actually interested. And it's even more insane that Ottawa wasn't willing to, you know, take on a second round pick or something for him. Because considering, I don't know, McQuaid got a fourth and a seventh. 
Um, I think there was another, I'm, I'm blanking on another defenseman trade, but it was something maybe like a third um, or something like that. I have it a hard time believing that, you know, CC couldn't get a second or even maybe more than that. And you look at Dorian's quote after the press conference. Oh my God. Cody CC was Ugh. exceeding all expectations. Don't get me started on that. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you have the quote? Um, I, I only say, I only remember that one little tip right. of the quote. I, I, you said I, he has nothing bad to say uh, about Cody CC. <sighs> <laughs> I don't know how you can have faith in a man that says that. Yeah, I don't know. If, if maybe he's doing these 3D chess mind games and is trying to increase his value even more, but maybe we don't trust Dorian to do that. And I don't think anybody knows at this point. I don't. But I mean, the fact that he scratched him in the first place is a glimmer of hope. We, we know that the Sens are it open is. to trading Cody CC and that if they receive the right offer, which would have been too high. We all, I think we all should have seen that. This, nobody values Cody CC more than the Sens. But mm-hmm. if, they re, if they ended up receiving that offer, they would have taken it. It's not like, it's not like he's not an yeah. untouchable player now like he used to be. And, uh, Although I am worried, though, just after moving all these veterans, I'm, I worry that you know they're not going to move him just because they feel the need to keep a veteran guy and also keep someone who can... Uh, you know, bring them to the floor. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what roster moves the Sens do this offseason. Uh, yeah. Uh, especially if the cap goes up to about $85 million, as it's rumored to go, which, which is going to be a big jump. So, um, bring on Milan Lucic. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> th- there's there's some positive negatives for that. We went over that in the last episode. But, yes. Uh, um, and then also, how about, yeah, did so you the, expect Bodker to be moved? I mean, I mentioned it earlier. It, it was a miracle that Dorian pulled off these three trades to begin with. So the fact that Bodker yeah. it, it, like didn't get traded is is kind of uh, I, I'd say it's kind of expected. It's, it's kind of like what uh, Zach Smith at last year's trade deadline. Like Dorian was so focused on Carlson, they just didn't have the time to <laughs> even, even uh, try and move him. And I guess we have Zach Smith as our next guy on the list. But uh, um, I, I, I didn't expect anybody to pick him up, even like. You look at how he went through waivers, and even though he's having to be a bit better of a season now, I, I just didn't expect that. And I guess yeah. uh, any other player on our list that, that, that kind of could be, have been traded, you know, PRV, Pajot, Nielsen, any of those rumored guys, like, uh, uh, yeah. The, it, it, Dorian's one guy, he just didn't have the time, and yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I thought there would have been a chance that someone would have you know, giving up a sixth or seventh for pay RV. Um, but you know, maybe not. It, it's hard to tell with some of these, um, with some of these depth guys who has a good reputation around the league and who doesn't, uh, the fact that he was on waivers last year, you know, maybe, maybe teams weren't, you know, don't see him as that good. And, you know, I don't think he is very good anyway, so not a huge deal. <clears throat> um, but it would have been nice to get that extra pick if they could have, um, yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the non moves. I think the biggest one from that was CC, um, the other ones certainly weren't expected to be moved. Yeah, and now's the time that we've all been waiting for. As we shift it to why we're in this situation to begin with, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Eugene Melnick. Uh, any any thoughts on this? It, it's it's been a long process, but yeah. I don't think I don't think like okay. Are are the listeners of this show? They're smart. They are going to know that <clears throat> this is not just a normal rebuild. And I wrote in my article the other day that 
you know, if, if this was a normal rebuild and we had a normal owner, owner, um, I think I'd be perfectly happy with the moves that were made just because, you know, they have a, a solid prospect group now. They have a ton of picks. They have, uh, you know, a real chance to build this team from from the ground up. Um, and and that's kind of exciting. But it's hard to be excited when you know that in five years, Melnick isn't going to be able to pay these guys that need a pay raise. I mean, hell, Colin White is an RFA this uh, this summer. Thomas Shabbat is next summer. You know, he's he's going to be negotiating a contract probably as soon as July 1st. So it's hard to be excited when, you know, best case scenario, Melnick is spending from 2021 to 2025. And who knows if they're, they'll even be good by that point. Um, so, like, literally the only hope we have as a fan base is if he sells. Because I don't know how you... The exact same thing is going to happen when these, the same core prospects and young players, when they hit 26, 27 and are asking for a lot more money. Yeah, I, I'm, I think we're on the same page here. The only thing I'll, I'll kind of disagree with is I don't think the Sens are going to be bad for that entire time. I think it's no, no, be, not, it, not, it, not it, that stretch. I'm just saying, yeah. like, oh, yeah. They could be good by 2022 or 2023 or something like that. But the thing is, is that like, it, it's it's you have to you have to really be a special kind of bad to stay at the bottom of the NHL for that amount of time. And mm-hmm. maybe the Ottawa Senators are that special kind of bad. But uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, they they still have pieces that uh, can make them competitive for uh, that at a certain amount of time. And, and if the Suns didn't have like, and this, this, this that's the thing, the Suns have these pieces and. Even though, even if they end up leaving in five or six years, that's still five or six years until they hit unrestricted free agency. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. The Suns are never going to be able to win a cup under Melnick. I think that's totally a given. Yeah. They're 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 capped essentially. But the NHL is inherently inherently random, and I think we we've seen that from the Suns in the past few years, even with the Hamburger run and the uh, 2017 run. Is that uh, it can definitely take them a long way, so. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's hard to see this team and be excited for it, and to get invested in these players, which is what's going to essentially sell them tickets, is when they have Melnick's owner and when all the fans are are totally aware of what's going on. So, while the team may on on the ice may go up and down, I think we, we'll still have to keep focus on. What's the issue? Like the, the main issue at hand, and um, Brandon Mackey, Silver Seven Sens writer, had an excellent article on this. And the Sens have been preaching culture, but it's time that we look at the culture off the ice too. And fixing that is really what's like. It's going to be a top-down decision on depending like what the Sen like where the Sens headed in their future. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it all it all starts at the top. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we will get a decision on what's going on with LeBreton uh, on Thursday. So that'll be tomorrow for, for most of the listeners. And, you know, that's a huge part of the Senators' future as well. Um, you know, if they can't get a rink there, then I don't know what the future holds for, for this team. I think there is definitely some hope that Melnick will sell at some point. But... <sighs> 
I mean, when, who knows? Because there's been rumors for years now, even especially just the past year, there's been so many people saying, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's on thin ice, he's about to sell. And, you know, he hasn't. He He's vehemently said that he he's never going to sell. And that's just, you know, blasphemous to Senators fans' ears. Um, but that's that's all we have right now. And, and can we talk about um, just how horrible of an interview Pierre Doron had yesterday? I mean, that was just, I was clawing my eyes out listening to that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I still haven't listened to the entire TSN 1200 thing yet, I'll admit. So I can't really go full blast okay. on Dorian yet. But uh, from what I saw at the press conference, and yeah, it, it, it just seems, yeah, he, he seems totally out of, uh, out of it right now. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this since you've probably seen a lot more than I have. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it was about a 25-minute conversation with Ian Mendez and Sean Simpson. Um, to, and, you know, to their credit, they were pressing him pretty hard. And, and Ian was, you know, trying to get answers out of Pierre, you know, questions that passionate Senators fans wanted answered. <clears throat> and Pierre really didn't have that great answers. And sometimes he didn't really answer them uh, directly. And, you know, he called yesterday, or Monday, I should say, the most proud he's ever been as a GM of the Senators. And he, the amount, I don't know how you can be that tone deaf just I, this isn't a day to celebrate. I mean, sure, you can be happy with your trades, whatever. You can talk up Brandstrom, and that's all fine and good. But he he legitimately doesn't understand that there's a disconnect between the team and the fan base. And he mentioned that he's only been yelled at once in, in public from a fan. Um, and, you know, he, he's saying that. <clears throat> I'm sure that's no he, he by now. Sorry? I'm sure that's an outdated quote by now. I'm sure he's been yelled at quite a few more yeah, times. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. But, like, <clears throat> he sees that as, you know, oh, well, fans obviously have no problem with me. They like me. And so I don't know if he's just outright lying or he just, like, literally doesn't listen to any coverage of the team or doesn't read anything or go on Twitter at all. But he just sounds like a delusional person um, talking about how... You know, the fans, he was pretty much telling Ian to his face that, no, the fans aren't fed up with the team and aren't fed up with the owner. And that's just not right lie. Like, I mean, sure, maybe the Twitter can sometimes be an echo chamber, but the teams, or sorry, the, the fans who are passionate about this team and follow them night in and night out are absolutely done with Melnick. They, they're done with this organization until something changes. So. Yeah. For him to be act so smug and and just you know pretend like everything's okay, it, it's just kind of a slap in the face. And I think he genuinely needs some interview training because we've seen him just give some really bad answers. Um, we saw it with the you know we're a team answer back in September, um, and I think with the Carlson presser as well, he just really stumbled along. Um, and you know it it's not easy to give. Uh, answers, especially in the situation that he's in. But, I mean, still, it just it is not good timing for for his answers yesterday. And I, I just really don't like the smugness. Yeah, and in, like you're right, when they're night in and night out fans, literally, you know, look at TSN 1200, had to stay open until 3 a.m. Yep. Taking calls. And the fans are angry. They care. <laughs> they did the same thing at the Carlson trade. And, 
Yeah, I, I mean, Dor- Dorian is essentially a yes man to Melnick. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think we should be expecting anything different because otherwise he wouldn't be in the job right now. So, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it, he's, he's definitely taking a page in Melnick's book. They're, they're both essentially compulsive liars at this point. It's, they're, they're, they, they flat out deny that money had anything to do with the negotiations and kept, kept saying, ask Mark Stone, ask Matt Duchesne. And then Mark Stone <laughs> says it had to do with the owner. And yeah. it's like, yeah, what do you do here? And I love the parting shot by Stone talking about how the Vegas team, uh, ownership wants to win. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to love Mark Stone for that. <laughs> Uh, uh, what, what, what can't Mark Stone do that's amazing but uh, exactly um, yeah I mean going back to Melnick for a second like it's felt like the end game since 2016 and he keeps saying that he's going to stay he's going to stay he's going to stay but I know Melnick's also a compulsive liar and so he I, I, he's totally lying about that we, we know the state of his finances we know he, he's uh, we know he's on thin ice with his creditors it's just a matter of when are they going to force him to sell the team, and that could be as soon as Thursday. Maybe I'm getting my hopes up too much. From <laughs> that would be amazing. But uh, if, if you only heard that, it here in the Cost for Podcast. If, if only that uh, could have been, you know, a few days before the trade deadline. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's going to have to end with Melnick, or not end with Melnick. It's, the franchise is going to start once Melnick sells, and we're going to be celebrating. And yeah, oh, yeah. and there, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah. there's going to be parties in the streets when he sells. <laughs> yeah. On, on the Twitter streets and maybe in the regular streets too, but uh, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Should we get into listener questions now? Yeah, I think so. We're, we're already almost an hour in. So, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> quickly then. Um, yeah. So first listener question uh, comes from, uh, Kelly Laura, that, that hockey loss on Twitter. And I think we kind of answered this already, but uh, mm-hmm. please deconstruct the TS, TSN 1200 with, interview with uh, Pierre Dorian. Um, and do you think it's also odd when he revealed his location? He said he was going to be in Navin. Did it, did it seem at all like he was taunting fans, trying to uh, go them into going there? Perhaps uh, so he could spin, uh, look at these ungrateful slash bad fans narrative. Huh, yeah, interesting. I never thought of it like that. I don't know. I think I think he was just trying to you know, be lighthearted with Ian and Sean. And he was, he was laughing a lot. And I don't know if that was like genuine laughs or just kind of nervous laughs. Um, yeah, I think he was just trying to lighten the mood or something, but it was pretty strange that he gave his location. Um, and you know, if someone was really pissed, they, they, they could have, you know, verbally harassed him if they wanted to, not that I condone that, but um, yeah, I thought that was a bit strange and, you know, pretty much like I said earlier, I really don't like the smugness from him. Um, and yeah, I, I don't really have too much more to say on that. Yeah. It's maybe, it was just, maybe it was just a slip up. Like you said, you could probably use some interview training, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say it was taunting is like, I don't think he was looking for a reaction no. in that. I, I don't think he was in bad faith when he's saying that. He was, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'll give you the next one then. Um, from Chris Koch, he says, "I don't know if you've looked up this list or anything, but uh, which washed-up veterans are the Senators going to sign on July first to hit the cap floor?" Um, I honestly don't know, just because it all depends on which players want to sign with Ottawa. So, yeah. 
and that's what it all comes down to, is that Ottawa's going to have a hard time trying to sign players. And, uh, I mean, I mean, Travis, you always mentioned this again, and it was a good point, that there, there are a limited number of NHL roster spots. So if someone can get a guaranteed roster spot with Ottawa, I think that's uh, um, going to be a win. But uh, um, I honestly didn't really have any players in mind. I was wondering uh, if, you, if you had someone. No, I actually didn't. Um... I haven't looked at the the free agent list. Um, But yeah, like you said, I mean, they could probably get someone who's maybe, you know... Jason Spezza? Ooh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, hey, I'm all for that. But yeah, I was going to say someone in their maybe early to mid-30s who isn't, you know, they're kind of on the decline. And actually, Spezza fits that bill quite perfectly. Um, so he could be an option. Um, I so, don't so, think yeah. he's going to want to come back, though. Yeah, considering he left on bad terms. Exactly. Who knows, maybe Broussard comes back as well. That, that's another thing. But again, if a player comes <laughs> to Ottawa, you wonder if they ever want to come back to Ottawa. Yeah, I uh, doubt it. So um, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be one or two signings or a trade like a Lucic or something like that. Yeah, but consider the mode of the running for guys like Jeff Skinner, um, Jordan yeah. Eberle, Joe Pavelski. Oh, and, and, no, th- those guys are out of the running. Mm-hmm. But, uh, hey, Mark thought could also come back too again, but uh, what former player wants to come back to Ottawa? Yeah, not many. <laughs> Big Z, Sid Ochara? Uh, I mean, he's either retiring or he's, or he's uh, brewing. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next um, question comes yep. from uh, Burnsy at 06 Burns 6. Lost in all of this is that the next uh, is that the contract expert Peter McTavish he's referring to uh, was brought in specifically to deal with our UFA situation and literally not a single contract got done. Would have been much better of, of uh, bringing someone with a hockey ops, ops background. And yeah, I have to agree with this. Is uh, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it, it, it was good that the Sens kind of showed their commitment to this contract negotiations and bringing in Peter McTavish. I, I don't doubt that he's he's a bit of an uh, that he has some expertise in this kind of stuff. And honestly, I think it's something that maybe more teams should even be doing is, is bringing in, in these cap experts. I know uh, Vegas did that with the cap-friendly guy. Remember, remember yeah. uh, that happening? So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's something that it would be good to see more teams doing that type of thing. But uh, just uh, bringing, in, bringing in him alone was definitely not enough. Yeah, I will say, I mean, I wouldn't blame him for not getting those contracts done just because... I don't think those players wanted to stay in Ottawa anyway. So um, I think if McTavish and Doran were able to structure the contract differently in terms of bonuses, I think they would. But that's obviously up to Melnick. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, they definitely need another AGM and probably even a couple more, you know, high, uh, high level front office people to deal with this that have a, a background in hockey ops. Um, because the front office is so thin right now. It's remember kind of that, insane. Uh, remember that renewed commitment to scouting and development? Oh, God. And, not uh, really. They, as in not really. They haven't done that. Oh, yeah. And actions speak louder than words. They haven't put in the action. Exactly. Repeat the cycle. It's, this is the sense. Yeah. Um, fourth question we got here from, I don't know if this is his brother or not, but uh, Carter Coke. Um, he asks... With everything on downtown arena being so quiet lately, do you think there's a timeline on if the team is sold, or do you think that is hopeless from this? Sorry, or do you think that is hopeless at this point? And I guess you kind of touched wait, on wait. that. Wait, a wait, ago. wait till Thursday, and everything's. Yeah. 
I, I would not going to say everything. Cause, uh, like it, it's been said publicly that there's going to be no more extensions. But uh, I think that if there's if there's ownership that comes in, that's that's an incredible move. That's number one priority right there. That's what we're hoping for as Suns fans. That someone comes in as owner, um, mm-hmm. e- even if it's just as ten percent or as twenty percent or whatever. Um, if if Devcore can get in there, Melnick's, just, Melnick's still going to be losing money on the team f- just through his debt, and then that percentage is going to keep going up and keep going up. So if we can find a way, if they can find a way to at least get some portion of control over the team and get some extra cash flow in there, I think that will go a huge way. Um, second on the priority list is that just he falls altogether, and then you get, and and then that again takes away Melnick's revenue stream, and then that kind of just deflates his cash flow even more. And then the last thing we want is that Melnick somehow managed to get investment on it and buying away. Because then that just guarantees it'll be in here longer. So, For sure. Agreed on all that. Um, two more short questions um, from Kale at Ball... What? At Bar Douche? <laughs> uh, when can we expect more people to yell at Dorian in public? Uh, it could be... I don't know. Maybe it's already happened. Yeah, could have easily happened. I don't know. I don't know if he's going outside very much, but you never know. <laughs> and and last question from uh, Captain Dewey, friend of the show. Why? Why does this all have to happen? <sighs> Just let out a big sigh. I don't know. I we don't have the answers at the Cosper Pointcast. We yeah. just, you know, we just what provide we, the negativity, that's all. <laughs> we haven't done anything to deserve this, but uh, Yeah. It, it's um, I don't know. Yeah, so those are all the listener questions. Um, thanks for submitting those. Those are always appreciated. You can follow um, us on uh, the Twitter account at CP yes. Pointcast. Submit uh, yes, all your questions CP through Pointcast. there. Yeah, yeah, that is good. Um, that's where to get all your information about the show and you know upcoming episodes and stuff like that. Um, yeah, is there anything you got to say before we sign off, Colin? Hashtag Melnick out. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosper Point Pass on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read my articles at HockeyBuzz.com. You can follow Colin on Twitter at CudmoreColin and read his articles at Silver 7 Sins. And lastly, you can also follow the Cosper Pointcast on Twitter at CP Pointcast. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or questions you want answered, let us know. That's all for today. Adios.